0: Welcome to Living Truth Radio, a ministry of Living Truth Christian Fellowship with Pastor Michael Lands. It's our goal to build up believers and to reach out with God's truth to all people. And now, here's Pastor Michael. So this is Esau. Back to Genesis 36, look at verse 2. Esau took his wives. So you got the records in in 36.1. And here he took his wives from the daughters of Canaan. He had Ada, her name means ornament, the daughter of Elon the Hittite, and um, uh, well, I what I, well, the way I'd read this is Oh Holy Bama, the daughter of Anna, and the granddaughter of Zibian the Hivite. He took wives from the daughters of Canaan. Now, you, you could be reading your Bible, and you, you go, well, you may not even park there, so what? Oh, wait a minute, wait a minute. The Canaanites, if you just start to think about what that means, this is put in a language of what is considered derogatory. This, this is a comment about the man. Do you remember when um, Abraham was sending off Isaac to get a bride in Genesis 24? He made Eleazar his servant promise that he would not take wives or take a wife from the daughters of the Canaanites. He said, please, and he made him grab his inner thigh. Do you remember when we were there in Genesis 24? It's around verses three or four. And he said, look, you are going to swear by God that you will not pick a wife for my son from the daughters of the Canaanites. Now, that was important for the line that would lead to the Messiah, but it was also important for practical reasons because the Canaanite women worshipped what? Other gods, And even Solomon's heart was turned away from the true God, one of the wisest, smartest men that ever lived, because he married outside the proper lines and even, we would argue, outside the faith. In fact, his wives turned his heart away from God. Let me tell you, young people, this is very important for you to hear. Who you marry has huge implications for your life And if you decide to marry outside the faith, put your seatbelt on really tight. Please hear what I'm saying. I'm not saying that God can't redeem a situation. I'm not saying that God can't work things together for good. But I am saying this. If you decide not to do things God's way, if you start making decisions, you say, oh, well, he's so cute. I'm sure he'll become a Christian. She's so pretty. Well, that may be true. But what you want is beauty on the inside. Amen? Beauty on the outside is not bad either. Don't get me wrong. And so what he did is he married daughters of Canaan. And look, he took not just a wife. He was also a polygamist. He took wives. Look at verse 2 from the daughters of Canaan. And he took a woman whose name was Holy Baba. <laughs> anyway, we'll move on. So you have you have a Hittite here, and you have a Hivite, and then he had base base math. Uh, her name, I think, means perfume. Ishmael's daughter, the sister of Nabiah. and you know he did this because he realized his parents were unhappy about these Canaanite women. In fact, we're told in one section of the scriptures that we've just recently read that the, these Canaanite wives were driving mom and dad crazy. In fact, mom says at one point, that I almost like want to die because of these women. Now, you guys, you guys know that when it goes bad with the in-laws, <laughs> sometimes you want to just head for the mountains, right? It can be tough when you're not on the same page spiritually. Some of you run into this at holidays. You, you have a very you know, uh, specific thing that you want to focus on at Thanksgiving and Christmas and Easter, and, and a family get-together happens, and all it takes is one sour apple. All right, got to pray. Holy Joe. Christmas, would you speed it up? want to hear about Jesus at Christmas. And you know that your decisions, the records of your generation will be marked down. Some of you can't, you can't imagine this right now. You can't imagine that 30, 40 years are going to go by and there's going to be a record of your generation, but I got news for you. It happens. The clock just keeps ticking for all of us. Pastor Michael, I know this is hard. I was 16 at one point. I was. Keyword was. And so he did this. And he said, well, mom and dad don't like my Canaanite wives, so I'll marry an Ishmaelite. <laughs> Wait a minute. That's not a great career move because she is of mixed blood too because Ishmael is a product of Abram and Hagar, who's Egyptian. And that was a whole other story. So he kind of went halfway with it. He said, well, maybe this will make mom and dad happy. It shows you that the guy was somewhat sensitive, but he was still not getting it. So look at verse 5. And Oholi Bama bore Jeush, and Jelem and Korah. These are the sons of Esau who were born to him in the land of Canaan while he was still in what would be the promised land, or what was the promised land. Then Esau took his wives and his sons and his daughters and all his household and his livestock and all his cattle, verse 6, all his goods which he had acquired in the land of Canaan and went to another land away from his brother Jacob. So he left, he married outside the line and then he left the land of promise. For their property had become too great for them to live together and the land where they sojourned could not sustain them because of their livestock. So Esau lived in the hill country of Seir Esau is Edom. We're reminded once again that he's a nation. These then are the records of the generations of Esau. Notice how you have bookends here from verse 1 to verse 9. The father of the Edomites in the hill country of Seir. Now, I will say to you that if you check out the names of the wives, uh, and I'm not going to spend a bunch of time here, but I was looking in James Montgomery Boyce's commentary on... um, Genesis, And he, he does note here, and I'll show it to you later if you want to look at it, but let me just take a, a moment here. It says that the only difficulty with the first account in Genesis 36 is that the names of the wives differ from the names in Genesis twenty six Two wives are named there. And 28 9, one wife is named. These two earlier passage yield, passages yield the following names. Judith was the daughter of Barry the Hittite, these are his wives listed earlier. Bazemath, daughter of the daughter of Elon the Hittite, and Mahaloth, the daughter of Ishmael. Yet in Genesis 36, 2 and 3, it's Ada instead of Judith, Oholibama instead of Basemath. And uh, here's what he says. He says, uh, Ada was, is still called the daughter of Elon the Hittite. Oholibama daughter of Anna and granddaughter of Zibion, the Hivite, and Basemath, the daughter of Ishmael. The earliest explanations of of this difficulty is that each wife had more than one name, one perhaps for living in the culture of Canaan, the other for living in Hittite culture. Ada is the same as Basemath of Genesis 26, 34. Both are identified as the daughter of Elon, the Hittite. Similarly, the base math of Genesis 36.3 is the same as Mahalaf, for both are said to be the daughter of Ishmael. And this leaves Oholibamah to be identified with Judith. And I may have messed that up when I said, said it earlier. Though in this case, the wives are said to be descended from different fathers. It is probably the case that the two fathers are actually one also, they, too, having been known by different names. And so it was true, and we see this in ancient culture, that people did go by a couple of different names. If you notice that, I bring it up. If you had no question about that, then don't worry about it. And so these, this second highlight uh, has to do with the marriages of Esau. He, he made bad decisions. He left the, he left the proper line. He left the land. And there's even a dispute among commentators as to whether or not the land couldn't sustain both of them or whether this town wasn't big enough for the two of us. You know what I'm saying? Maybe it was more about that they thought that the herdsmen would start to fight and so forth. It was a way of saving face, but not so much that the resources lacked. I'll let you Decide for yourself there. But here's how he goes on. So here's one thing I just want to say about Esau. We don't know how Esau's story actually ends. In fact, uh, my wife, when she was creating the slide, she said uh, with the picture, did Esau live to be an old man? And I said, yeah, it's, it's clear that he lived for a while. I, don't, I didn't find He lived this many years. Uh, I didn't look terribly hard, but I don't don't think it's there. But I will say this um, Esau's story has a question mark over it. We don't really know where Esau stood before the Lord. The positive sign is remember when Jacob came and humbled himself? He forgave his brother. He had 400 men with him, and those 400 men, they looked very, like maybe they wanted to be violent. But when Jacob bowed before Esau, Esau fell on his neck, and they wept together. Pastor Chris taught us uh, last time that at the end of 35, they bury their father together. So there's some positive signs about the guy. But does Hebrews twelve fifteen through 17 tell us that The overarching theme of his life was he was an immoral, godless man, and we're to see to it that we don't follow in his footsteps. Or was that just a portion of his life? You see, when we start asking questions like this, here's what we gotta do. We start asking, well, there's a question mark lingering over this life, so I don't know. Please hear this. Don't live your life under a question mark. Don't, don't have some future generation try to figure out whether or not you were saved. Please don't do that. If you're going to be in, would you be in? If you're going to be a Christian, then be a Christian. Don't have people guessing where you stand and who you are. Don't live on the fringes. Don't sit on the bench. Who, who of you wants to sit on the bench. I want to be in the game, man. I don't want to be a spectator. It's hard when people live their lives and die with a question mark. You know, one writer says, it's always this way with people who are of this stripe. He says, if you will not value spiritual things and give them first place in your life, then the merely physical will flood and dominate what you are And what you do. And your story sometimes will end with a question mark. And the Bible says, you will know them by their what? Their fruits, plural. And so if people have to guess about your fruits, you might want to take another look at where you are. This is a poignant section I want to read to you. I would ask you to please listen closely. R. Kent Hughes comments. Genesis is ambiguous about Esau. The beginning of his life was certainly graceless, but he appeared as a different man after the 20 year hiatus while Jacob was with his uncle. Certainly, his demotion from covenant bearer did not mean that he was excluded from the benefits of the covenant. Personally, He said, "I've seen this pattern and ambiguities of Esau's chronicle traced in the lives of men I've buried over the years. They were born to godly though imperfect parents. Growing up, they were nurtured and catechized in God's word, but Christian things meant little to them. Heaven was far off, disconnected from real life, and as they as they matured, they came to despise their heritage." Maybe not overtly, but by neglect and dismissiveness. I will tell you on the Bible Answer Show today, we got two phone calls. Both those phone calls told the story of people walking away from their faith. One was a minister. One was a 28-year-old young man who's decided that he doesn't want to be a Christian anymore. Yet he is complaining to his mom that Christians are celebrating a pagan holiday when they celebrate Christmas. And my response was, why does he care? Why does he care? If he's told you that the God of the Bible is not true, then why does he critique you and want to get into a debate about the origins of Christmas? It shouldn't even matter to him, but it matters to him because he wants to prove a point. He somehow wants to make himself feel better by saying that you're wrong, Mom. And the minister, I understand. He's looking at stuff that's happening in the news: children dying because of war. Sadly, that's always been the case of human existence, hasn't it? And he's walking away, apparently, from whatever faith he had as well. Please hear me well. Some people despise their heritage, not heritage, not overtly, but but by neglect and dismissiveness, they dismiss the deeper things. Some were ignorant despisers, others cultured despisers. To their parents' great sorrow, they married outside the faith and then went with the flow of culture in raising their children so that they became de facto pagans, pursuing and even attaining the American dream. But as these men passed through midlife, the emptiness of it all began to pummel their souls. They repented and came to faith. When they could, they made amends, but their families did not follow them. So these men stayed at the fringes of the church, sometimes seeking counsel, sometimes engaging in benevolences, attending church irregularly and often alone, inarticulate to their faith. And when they did, the family, when they, when they excuse me, when they died, the family asked for a funeral in the church in respect to their father's wishes, And when I preached, says Hughes, it was to ignorant, unbelieving hearts, Edomites. And folks, I have seen that played over and over and over again. I've stood up here too many times with someone who has left this planet with a question mark over their soul. You don't want to live that way. And you certainly don't want to die that way. And so these are the records of the generations of Esau. And when you think about it, there's a lot to reflect upon and a lot to consider. And if you'll let the Bible teach you what it's trying to teach you, if I'll let the Bible teach me what it's trying to teach me, I will be the wiser for it, and I will have acquired wisdom And so Esau settled in the hill country of Seir. That's verse 8 from the ESV. And, of course, we're told again of these generations of Esau. Esau did a lot of settling. He settled for second, third, fourth best. And I pray, of course, as I urge us all, that we don't settle for anything but God's best. The second section in verses 10 and following in Genesis 36 tell the story of two of Esau's sons and then 10 of his grandsons. I'm not going to read the list here, but that's what you could put as a heading. There's two sons mentioned, two of Esau's sons in verse 10, Eliphaz and Raul. And then there's a whole list of sons that come from them, 10 in all. You'll see some familiar names in there, like Amalek in verse 12 is mentioned. there's, uh, there's different uh, lines that are mentioned there, and I'm not going to get into all the genealogy there. In summing up verses 20 and 30, which have a lot of names in them as well, uh, verses 20 through 30, one uh, way to c- just categorize this is Esau had displaced, displaced the native people, had married into a leading family. The picture here is one of violent invasion by Esau's clan, living by his sword, followed by the absorption of the native populace into the descendants of Esau. In other words, Esau was very, um, I guess, materialistically prosperous, you'd say. In fact, what we're going to learn is that while uh, Israel, under Jacob, as they, the family goes to Egypt and ends up under Egyptian bondage, Esau is thriving. The Edomites are thriving. They have kings before Israel ever has kings. They seem to be dominating uh, and kind of imbibing people groups. In verse 31, we have a list of kings that come from Esau's line. These are the kings who reigned in the land of Edom before 31. Any king reigned over the sons of Israel. So you could see, in some ways, if Jacob got word about his brother, he, would, he might say, sheesh, my, my brother's done so much better than I got kings and, and lands and, and all of these things coming from the group. And the list of kings are there. You have Bela and Jobab in verse 33, Husham, 35, Hadad. Uh, skip down to 36, you have Samla, Shaul. And the last name is an interesting name. When Shaul died, verse 38, you have Baal or Baal Hanan. When you see the name Baal, what does it make you think of? false God. why would one of the name why would one of the kings of Edom be named after Baal? Well because certainly by this time there's a there's a degeneration there's all of this this taking in of, of the pagan ways and now you have kings that are even named after false gods and so he dies in verse 39. And Hadar becomes king in his place. And then the final section of this particular uh, chapter, verses 40 through 43, as we round out chapter 36, emphasizes the spheres of ownership and influence of the leading Edomite families. Notice it says in verse 40, now these are the names of the chiefs descended from Esau. And you have the chiefs mentioned there, ending in verse 43, chief Magdal, chief Eram, These are the chiefs of Edom, that is Esau, the father of the Edomites, according to their habitations in the land of their possession. And so the story concludes. What do we know of the Edomites as the Bible unfolds? What do we learn about them? Just some scriptures that we'll go through um, as we move through the Bible and we'll conclude in the New Testament. As I told you, we would end up at Christmas. Here's what we have. Uh, the sad reality is that Esau's descendants became the chronic enemies of Jacob's descendants. Edomites battled Israelites. Some 500 years after Esau's departure, when Moses was leading Israel in the exodus out of Egypt, the Edomites refused the peaceful overtures of Moses, it would not allow Israel to pass through their territories. That's recorded in numbers 20 verses 14 through21. 1 Samuel 1447 says that Saul, the first king of Israel, had to battle, uh, the, the, had to battle with Edom. 1 Samuel 14.47. 47. 2 Samuel 8:14 says that David was able to sub- subdue the Edomites. But the most infamous abuse of Edom toward Israel was during Israel's deportation to Babylon, when the Edomites blocked the crossroads, cutting off the route of the fugitive Israelites and delivered them back to the Babylonians. Can you imagine that? The the Israelites that were being deported and actually had a chance to go back to the promised land were cut off by the Edomites and returned back to basically being in bondage. How's that for how your brother treats you? How's that for a forgotten history and no sense of the covenant promises? Turn to the book of Psalms. This this story gets a little attention in your Bible. Psalms, Psalm 137. Psalm 137. Here's the story when they treated Israel poorly. And of course, you can tie this all back to not really focusing on your heritage, not passing down the stories. Folks, think about it. Israel was told over and over again, teach these things to your children. Teach them the feast. Teach them where you came from. Teach them what the Lord's done for you so that future generations will worship the Lord. Well, Esau started a bad trend. And by the time 500 years had passed, the Edomites could care less about the Israelites. They didn't care that there there was brothers at one point in this line, it meant nothing to them anymore. There was no sense of the covenant. Think of Ebenezer Scrooge, who you know, was known as, to be a miser, and uh, he was selfish and, and, and didn't care about people, and he was transformed in one night, and he had a chance to, to live well and, and do Christmas right. <laughs> uh, indeed, that's the hope that we have. Even if you've lived like Esau so far, there's hope for you. If you'll turn your life over to Jesus Christ and don't wait another moment because we don't even know what a day is going to bring. Now you may be asking, well, how do you do that? Pastor Michael, how do you turn your life over to Jesus Christ? Well, you must acknowledge that Jesus Christ came into this world, died on the cross for you and rose again from the dead. And the Bible teaches repentance and faith. Repentance means do a 180. You've been living your life away from God. You've been going your own direction. Turn around and come to God through the Lord Jesus Christ. Believe in him, his death on the cross, his resurrection from the dead, and put your full trust in him and him alone for your salvation. Now you can do that by prayer, a simple prayer. Just Lord Jesus, come into my life. If it's you, you're not sure. If you died tonight, you don't know if you'd be in heaven. Make sure. I believe you died on that cross for my sin, Jesus. I believe you rose from the dead, and I trust you as my Lord and my Savior. Be my Lord. Cause me to be born again to that living hope, and lead me by your Holy Spirit. In Jesus' name. You don't have to have a perfect prayer, folks. God knows your heart. But you have to believe in the biblical Christ and follow him. Trust in him for your salvation and follow him. Hey, we would love to help you with that. So reach out to us through the website, livingtruthradio.org. And we'll try to help you with resources and what you need to do from this point forward. This is Living Truth Radio. My name is Pastor Michael Lance, and I hope you've been listening for a while. But if you're a new listener, welcome aboard. We are a ministry that's based in the city of Corona in Southern California. And we would love for you to reach out to us and let us know who you are, where you listen, and how we can be of service to you by praying for you or helping you find a local church or whatever it may be. If you have a question about the faith, uh, we have a contact form that we'd love for you to use right now Go ahead and go there, livingtruthradio.org and just fill out the contact form, submit it to us and uh, we'll get back with you. We'd like to get to know you better and check out our website. You can find out all you'd like to know about the uh, ministry and about the church behind this radio ministry. So again, thanks for listening. God bless you. And we will catch you next time on Living Truth Radio. Thank you for listening to today's program.